than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals. It's Superman, Superman, Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 76 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we're going to look at episodes 21 through 24 of season 1 of The New Adventures of Superman. That will be The Abominable Iceman, The Men from Ape, The Tree Man of Ebora, and The Image Maker. And also sandwiched in between that, I will cover the next two episodes, episodes 11 and 12 of The Adventures of Superboy, which aired in the middle of the Superman segments, the first of which will be Crypto Super Seeing Eye Dog and The Black Knight. But before I get into uh, business, I want to talk about a little something I mentioned during last week's episode when uh, I was talking about the documentary that opened up the... We're not talking about the documentary on the second disc of season one of The New Adventures of Superman. Specifically about the statement that Mark Wade made, his theory about the dialogue and the narration in the show. You know, he had put forth the uh, theory that you didn't necessarily need to see the visuals in order to follow the show. Because the narration, when you combine the work of the narrator and Superman telling everybody what he's doing as he's doing it, would give the episodes more of a radio show feel and you'd be able to get the gist of the episode basically by only listening to the audio. So I decided to test that theory, and I used episode 21, The Abominable Iceman. I listened to that on audio. I didn't want to use an episode I had already watched, as I didn't want to have any of my previous knowledge to kind of color my listening experience. But just having gone through The Abominable Iceman, and it could just be that I picked the right example for this, but it seems as though, at least for this episode, Mark Wade is right, and... And I could probably see how that would work with most of the other episodes in the series. So, What I did was I minimized the uh, display as I was assembling my notes for this episode. And I just ran it so I could hear the audio. And sure enough, I knew the story of the episode and was able to follow the action with few difficulties. I'm sure that I didn't get as much out of it as I would have if I was sitting and listening to it completely focused on it. But even with my attention divided, the dialogue and narration were enough that I could follow the story. I always knew what was going on, so yeah, the narration in these episodes are a little overkill. In contrast, the previous Superman cartoons in in the early 40s, the Fleischer shorts, you couldn't do that with those. Those shorts, which were really only a few minutes longer than these episodes, the animation was the star. I've said that before. The new adventures of Superman are banking on the voice talent, which delivers for the most part, but you don't seem to need the animation, and, you know, that's kind of a shame in a visual medium. You know, the Fleischer cartoons depended less on the uh, vocal talent of Bud Collier and company, and more so on the uh, fl- strong Fleischer animation. And Filmation, unfortunately, is known more for its cheap animation style than anything else, even though it did have some very popular cartoons between 1966 and the studio's demise in the 1980s. 
So, to be honest, going forward, I wish the voice actors would quiet down a little bit and let the story unfold on the screen. It's an old adage, you know, show, don't tell. Well, this show is both showing and telling. I was talking to some folks on Facebook recently regarding uh, Sin City, and one of my big complaints about that film, other than it being based on work by Frank Miller, who I would rather leave than take, is uh, well documented that I am probably one of the few DC Comics fans that really does not like the Dark Knight Returns story, and I have less use for the two stories that came after that. And I'll be honest, and this is probably going to get me drummed out of some DC Comics circles, is that I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of Batman Year One either. You know, I respect both, both stories and their place in DC history, but, you know, Year One was better, but the work that Frank Miller has done on Batman and kind of the legacy that it left behind is really not my thing. But that is definitely not this podcast. Before I leave from Frank Miller, I just kind of want to point out that he's done more damage to Superman in one story than many artists and writers combined. But anyway, during the uh, Sin City film, the narration over almost every minute of screen time was overwhelming and it affected my enjoyment of that film. I remember thinking something to the effect of just shut up and let me watch the movie. And that's kind of the same thing with these shows. The voice actors needed less lines. The characters can talk to each other, sure, but please stop telling me what you're doing as you're doing it. I know it's a children's show, but, you know, I wish they'd stop underestimating their audience. Believe it or not, kids are smarter than that. So, that being said, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with, uh... The Abominable Iceman, Crypto Seeing Eye Dog, and The Men from Ape. Hang around, folks. Stay. What? Uh, have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It All Comes Back to Superman is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, the episodes in these uh, in this first segment, the original broadcast date was November nineteenth, nineteen sixty six, and we're going to start with the Abominable Iceman. This was written by William Wolfwork, and our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Lois in Hawaii finds the area suddenly becomes frozen. 
Superman arrives and finds an Iceman causing the freezing. Superman saves the Iceman from a fleet bombardment and delivers him and an Ice Age creating device to a distant asteroid. So that's pretty much the synopsis for this episode. Pretty uh, straightforward right there. And uh, we'll just start going through this thing. Uh, this was, you know, an okay uh, segment. Uh, not too much to it. Superman kind of shows up on the scene and does what he has to do. You know, like I've said before, most Silver Age comic stories were like 10 to 12 pages. So these sh- episode segments are very in line with the way comics were done at that time. Lois was on vacation and surfing, and everything is suddenly frozen in place, including the waves and the boats. Apparently everything but Lois and all the other beachgoers, which is very interesting because I guess uh, whatever the Abominable Iceman is doing, it has no effect on organic tissue. Helpful to know, but I'm sure she was still pretty cold uh, standing out there in her bathing suit and uh, on the frozen waves. And uh, Lois has apparently sent a telegram to the Daily Planet to inform them of what was going on. I wonder how long Lois just kind of been hanging around in the frozen wasteland in her bathing suit while her cable was getting to where it was going. I can't imagine it was too long. Perry is unbelieving, as only Perry White can be. I can't believe it, Kent. There must be some mistake. There's no mistake, Perry. Lois is too good a reporter for that. If you're right, Kent, I'd better hold the presses for what may be the biggest story the Daily Planet has ever set in type. Stand by for rewrite. And Clark says Lois is too good to make a mistake. I wonder what kind of mistake he might have been referring to. Did Perry not believe that she saw what she saw you know i believe lois would suddenly recognize if the wave she was trying to surf suddenly became frozen in place and they were literally frozen in place from if you look at the animation you know you see the animated waves and then all of a sudden you see the animated waves are frozen in place in wave form so it's not as though they had time to flatten out so superman is off as the narrator tells us superman is flying on and it gives him a chance to comment and he melts some of it with his heat vision apparently he uh only takes care of the frozen boat, nothing else. So, then Superman will see a man made of ice, and he doesn't believe it. He's seen some strange stuff. You would think he wouldn't doubt his own eyesight at this point. So, the ice man freezes him, and this gives Superman an opportunity to make some cringeworthy ice puns. They're so cringeworthy that I'm not even going to repeat them. So, suddenly, after all this, Lois is on a blimp, and uh, Superman is having trouble uh, holding onto the ice monster as it freezes the blimp and causes Superman to have to catch Lois. You know, and by now we've realized that it's the, that it's the uh, same flying animation just about every time he goes somewhere. You know, it's almost like the uh, George Reeves show where the same flying shot was used no matter where uh, Superman was going, especially in the color episodes. They were much more guilty of this than the uh, than the earlier black and white episodes. So back to uh, our uh, Iceman and his uh, terrorizing of the uh, of the beautiful Pacific Islands of Hawaii. Now a volcano has been frozen, and one of the bystanders literally says, "Great galloping ghosts." Now I know the 1960s were a different time, but I can't imagine anyone saying that under any kind of circumstance. I can imagine them saying some other things that I really don't want to repeat on this podcast. But great galloping ghosts is not something I think anybody would say in real life, and. Uh, to steal a phrase from comic historian Arlen Schumer, this is kind of an this is an example of a DC Comics' stilted dialogue of the time. So Superman deduces that the Iceman is in the volcano, and apparently the uh, military men know this as well. Not sure how, but I guess they've deduced that because the volcano has gone from being somewhat active to being frozen. So that's probably a good enough sign that an Iceman is hanging out in it. So the narrator tells us that Superman is going into the volcano as the animation, ironically enough, shows Superman going into the volcano as I watch it happen. And then, uh, you know, it's not every day that uh, you find an ice creature in a volcano uh, with a pickaxe. But this is what we find when we reach the interior of the volcano. And the Iceman found something. We don't know what it is, but Superman decided to take it from him. He figures it's a bomb that could apparently send the Earth into a new ice age. 
powerful stuff that certainly is. I'm not necessarily sure how Superman knows that this bomb can send the Earth into a new ice age, but he says it can, so we're just going to go with that. Who am I to argue with the Man of Steel? And now suddenly the whole Earth is shaking because the Navy has suddenly opened fire, and they're going to bring down the volcano with the Iceman in it, and with Superman in it as well. They know that nothing can hurt Superman. I'm not even sure if they're aware of him at this point. I don't remember. And, uh, you know, in true Superman fashion in this show, that he is just going to carry off the Iceman and the bomb, and he just tosses them into an asteroid. And, you know, I feel kind of bad for the Iceman here. He just looks confused. Apparently the Iceman froze the asteroid, so... I guess I'm to believe that he is colder than the vacuum of space. Maybe that device that Superman sent the Iceman with had something to do with it, but Superman has given the Iceman a home on a frozen asteroid, and we've seen enough of these episodes by now that that's kind of a common thread that goes on. Superman tends to just kind of throw the threats into space, so... This is yet another one. And uh, now we get an ending about Clark commenting on how sunny Hawaii was, and uh, Clark bought Lois some pineapple. Lois, it's good to have you back from sunny Hawaii. Sunny Hawaii. Hmm. I got a little souvenir for you to remind you of your vacation. Really? What is it? Pineapple ice. Oh, don't you think you're funny? And Lois doesn't go for it, and there's something a little off about the animation here, as much as uh, filmation animation is off. Anyway, as you know, Clark kind of looks like he returned from the toilet in this scene. Just kind of a weird face. But that's it for this segment. You know, another uh, standard Superman versus a monster type thing. You know, I really wish these episodes had a little more meat, so there'd be a little bit more to talk about. But with these particular episodes, you kind of, you know, kind of get what, uh, kind of got to take them at face value. There's really not much under the surface for them. So that's it for that segment. We're going to move right along to the Superboy segment, Crypto the Seeing Eye Dog. I'll bet you know where this is going. And this was written by Leo Dorfman. And our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com is as follows. Superboy and Crypto find a capsule from Krypton with dangerous weapons. Crypto accidentally activates one, blinding Superboy. Holy smokes. It's written in Kryptonese. And it says, this capsule contains forbidden super weapons. Launched into space when war was outlawed on Krypton. Let's have a look at those things. Let's see now. This says, Disintegrator Grenade. This is a... Wow! A ray that causes instant blindness. And this? This is a... Careful, Crypto. These old weapons may be very dangerous to us Kryptonians. My eyes! I can't see! I know you didn't mean it, Crypto, but, but now how will I find my way home? Wait. You can see, right? Well then, you can be my seeing eye dog. Go fetch a vine from the jungle. Crypto helps Superboy rescue his ship, then later they respond to a bomb alert. They dig out the bomb, saving a bridge. When Superboy lets the bomb explode away from the bridge, he finds the blast has restored his sight. Alright, so we're back in Hawaii for this segment. Many years before, Superboy and Crypto were hanging out in Hawaii, years before Lois would encounter the Iceman there. So, uh, Superboy and Crypto are flying, and it looks as though they're flying after some kind of oil can, and... Of course, Superboy identifies it as a uh, space capsule. They drop it in the water. It's a good thing that particular space capsule didn't irradiate the ocean or something. 
Aquaman would have definitely been unhappy about that. And uh, what a surprise, we're going to find that it's written in Kryptonian. And it's apparently uh, super weapons from Krypton after war was outlawed. So naturally, because it's from Krypton, it was sent to Earth for uh, safekeeping. Superboy finds a device that creates blindness, so of course Crypto accidentally hits it and blinds Superboy. So now Crypto is going to be a seeing eye dog. I'll bet you didn't see that coming based on the title. So now, of course, we're going to learn about how seeing eye dogs help blind people, you know, make their way about in the world. It's kind of, you know, they're a service pet, and uh, you'll see many a blind person using a uh, seeing eye dog to make their way. I'm not exactly sure how the relationship between a blind man and a, and its seeing eye dog works, but there's enough uh, of them out there that it does work. My best guess is that the dog kind of creates a path for the blind person to walk if he's in a crowded area or something. I don't exactly know. So Superboy will drop the capsule in the water and continue to fly off with Crypto. It's rather amusing watching Superboy hold onto a vine as Crypto leads him. It's really amazing that the vine holds up to all of that stress. So, however, with Crypto in the lead, the blind Superboy is still able to tow a ship, a ship that needs rescuing to shore. Crypto is barking about a lighthouse coming up, and Superboy manages to stop the boat in time. So, just uh, as a visual reference, we know Superboy is blind because his eyes are closed. Not, I mean, obviously he's told us that he's blind, but his eyes are closed, so that's how we know we can't see. So, Superboy's going to be at home talking to uh, Pa Kent. Let's be honest, Dad. What good is a blind Superboy? Now, now, son. You still have other superpowers? Sure. But without sight, I'm a... Listen. The police signal. State police calling Superboy. Urgent. Please contact headquarters at once. What do I do, Dad? You call in. That's what. Okay, Dad. Superboy calling state police. Come in, please. Some nut called to say planted a time bomb set to blow up the state highway bridge five minutes from now. Great Scott. It may be real. We need your help. I'll be right there. Please hurry, Superboy. You leave me outside, Dad, and Crypto will take over from there. And, you know, Superboy is feeling pretty down. He feels useless that he is blind, and Pa Kent will convince Superboy that he's not useless even though he's lost his eyesight. It's a nice message to any blind kid that may be watching that... They still have something to offer, even though they can't see. You know, and all of his other senses are enhanced. It's always surprised me that a blind Superboy doesn't function kind of the way Daredevil does. Even blind, Superboy's other senses should be enhanced enough to kind of make up for it. He should be able to function as though he could see. You know, that's how it works with Daredevil, and you would think Superboy could do the same thing with his other enhanced abilities, but it doesn't dawn on the writers here. So, of course, despite his Superboy's blindness... Some nut is going to blow up a bridge, so there is clearly no rest for the weary Superboy. And Crypto is going to function as Superboy's eyes and digs for the bomb. And Superboy asks Crypto to take him into the sky, which I found interesting. Now, even though Superboy can't see, his flight powers still work, presumably. You know, there should presumably be nothing in the sky to bother him. You know, how many planes really are there in the sky in the 1960s? Or at any time, really, for that matter. So, why can't he do it? So the bomb goes off and Superboy can see with absolutely no explanation as to why that works. The only explanation is that the force of the explosion or flash from the bomb restored his sight. Okay, that doesn't seem as though it would work. You would think that a, he'd have to find the Kryptonian device and use it the opposite way or something like that to get it to work. But okay, we'll settle with Silver Age comic book science for the time being. So not a bad little segment and a nice little message about kids about learning that kids could take to learn how to deal with blindness if they're blind or any kind of impairment. But we're going to move right on from that. 
we're going to go back to the Superman years for The Men from Ape. And this was written by Oscar Bensal, and our synopsis goes like this. Luthor, the warlock, Toyman, and Prankster band together as the allied perpetrators of evil using an abandoned lighthouse as the headquarters. Prankster and Toyman scheme to lure Superman where they can aim a kryptonic beam invented by Luthor at Superman. This kryptonic beam is the only thing that can destroy Superman at a range of one half mile. What we must do then is bring him into that range. Right. Once in range, the beam will stay on him until he's finished off. Any volunteers? I think I know how to lure him here. Good. Superman eventually finds a lead pipe in the harbor to shield him from the beam and defeats the criminals that way. So, as soon as I saw this episode, I saw the criminals all together. Oh, I kind of thought look at my chops a little bit. This is like the greatest hits version of Superman villains. At least at that time. Toy Man, the prankster. I'm not necessarily sure if Warlock made any appearances in the comics. I don't know enough of the Silver Age to know that. And Lex Luthor. This is kind of a precursor to the Legion of Doom or perhaps a Superman Revenge Squad. So uh, Luthor has a kryptonic beam projector that has a range of about a half a mile. I could have sworn Luthor has tried something like this before. But in that episode he was alone. So I guess now that he has some uh, teammates around... Maybe his plan will work better this time. So Toy Man starts off with a great idea. Let's bring Superman within that range. Pure genius. Did Mr. Bensall think of that strategy all by himself? So here is Clark as he hears a fire alarm and there's some black smoke emerging from the background and Superman is on the job. And apparently uh, Superman had to fly all the way there to realize that it was a false alarm. And just kind of, and just a smoke pot. You know, a little, uh, looks like a little lamp on the deck of the ship and just pouring out billows of black smoke. You would think Superman would be would have been able to spot something like that from his office at the Daily Planet building and not have to fly all the way there to realize that he's been duped. But he didn't. And uh, now we got a firefighter. He's hooking up or opening up a fire hydrant. And it's rather amusing to take off right in front of the uh, befuddled firefighter. But the flying hydrant gets Superman into the uh, range of the kryptonite beam and Superman is weakened by the kryptonic beam, as Luthor calls it. Even though Superman refers to it as kryptonite. So the beam knocks Superman into the water and uh, Superman apparently gets some protection from the ocean. It's nice to see Superman challenged and the animation, you know, after Superman kind of crawls out of the ocean onto a little island, definitely shows a tired Superman. It's not the same exact figure going from place to place. It's actually showing a little bit of uh, acting ability. Alright, so now Toy Man is going to get involved and he He's going to send a mechanical woodpecker after some boats. It's a good thing they're all wooden. Uh, this really wouldn't work with a metal navy destroyer or something like that. But Superman saves the boat, and the kryptonic beam comes back, and Superman jumps into the water. I hope you're sensing a theme here. So Superman now got lucky, found some lead tubing in the ocean. So he's going to just use this the way he did the last time. And if you hadn't remembered uh, Warlock was in this episode, you're going to remember it now, as he's going to do something to kind of show that he needs to be in this episode. And, uh... He's going to have a representation of an, of an Apache Indian attack Superman. But that really didn't do anything. That's just kind of... The arrows kind of bounced off Superman's lead shield and didn't really do anything to hamper Superman's progress. And Luthor didn't plan for lead because he implores Warlock to do something, but everybody bails on him. Take his trick and finish with a grand slam. <laughs> Holy smokes. He's coming right at us. I'm getting out of here. Me too! Do something, Warlock! Do something! Uh, only one thing to do, make myself invisible. I'll take that magic, Ruby. Now, Superman used a lead shield the last time 
Luthor focused a kryptonite beam on him, so I'm not necessarily sure why Luthor didn't plan for lead this time. It just seems like he didn't think everything through. So, But everybody bails on Luthor when uh, his peers, the jig is up, and Superman is not content to merely take everybody to jail. Superman just picks up the entire lighthouse and flies them away. He just lifts the whole foundation right off the island and carries it away. And they all jump out, and then Superman rounds them up in a big net. I guess that's one good way of uh, getting them all into one place so you can scoop them up in a big net. But that was a good one. I love the comic book elements. You know, it's always nice to see the villains transported from the comic book page and onto, in this case, the small screen. I still don't understand why the uh, Toy Man model looks nothing like the model in the comics, but whatever. It is what it is. So I really like that. I really like that particular segment. And I'm going to take a quick break at this point as we've taken care of the first three segments. And we'll play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with the Tree Man of Arbora. The Black Knight, and The Image Maker. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, I just want to point out that the next three segments, the original broadcast date for all of them was November 26, 1966. And we're going to start with The Tree Men of Abora. And this is written by Oscar Bensall. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A scientist discovers a strange tree growing near a meteorite crater. This is no tree on Earth. I suspect it grew from a seedling carried here centuries ago by the meteor that formed this crater. Does that mean that you think this tree is from another planet, Dr. Fallon? I cannot think of another explanation. The tree comes to life, drinking all the water it can find, creating havoc as it goes. Superman captures the tree man and returns it to its home planet of Arbora. Sounds uh, pretty uh, straightforward, if you 
ask me. And uh, please excuse the uh, thunder in the background as it is currently raining where I am. I'm recording this particular episode on the evening of August 22nd, so we are having some weather right now. So, this episode is going to start at a crater in the desert. Apparently, uh, some kind of meteor hit and these two scientists are studying it. So the scientist is going to assume that these things are from another planet. And now we see a car and it's taken apart by a tree creature. The uh, scientist can't believe his eyes and neither can I. It's a walking tree. And it's a thirsty tree. It's taken out swimming pools, lakes, water tanks, and the tree is growing. And Clark uh, just happens to be in California when the reports of the tree creature come into the uh, local, uh, I guess these are either local police or state troopers or something. New power dam in Rocky Canyon says a giant creature is trying to rip the dam apart. Oh, no. Yeah. And if that happens, we're goners. All of us. I'm getting out of here fast. So, Clark does what he does and changes into Superman right outside the police station. You know, it is the same shot of Superman with the uh, Clark Kent shirt hanging over his right shoulder. And, uh, you know, they're not wasting any money on doing a new animation. Just the background is different. I'm guessing that the technology exists that they can just superimpose the image of Superman with the shirt shirt over his shoulder on whatever background they want, I guess. But it is kind of funny note about the narration when the tree creature breaks the dam. It almost seems as though he was interrupted by the tree creature. You know, the it, the narration is telling what the tree creature is going to do, and when the when he breaks the dam, the narration just stops. You know, like I said, it's interrupted. And the creature certainly knows its stuff. If it has the wherewithal to hide from Superman by pretending to be a, you guessed it, a tree. So Superman is going to stop the flood using a familiar trick to viewers of the uh, previous episodes of this show. He's going to dig a channel by burrowing through the rocks. And I am perfectly glad and relieved that the narration is here to tell me what I'm seeing. Just Oh, that's just like the one thing about these uh, filmation cartoons that I just can't seem to get over. The fact that, they're, that they are so heavily over-narrated that, it's, that it borders on the ridiculous. So now Superman is going to uh, push a rock into the path of the river that the uh, flooded water is threatening his little uh, group of homes here. And I like that it's a struggle for Superman. You know, you can't really go wrong with Superman versus nature. And this particular sequence reminds me a lot of the earthquake sequence that we're going to eventually see in Superman the movie. And he, Superman t- pushes this heavy rock down and it just blocks the water and, and saves the uh, little uh, housing development at the bottom of the river. So, now Superman is going after the tree man, and apparently Superman has some kind of prejudice against trees. He looks up at the trees and says, all these trees look alike to me. Can't tell them apart. And I'm not a big tree expert either. I could, I probably couldn't tell you a maple from an oak, but maybe something I could be educated on somewhere down the line. But fortunately, Superman sees a trooper who informs him that the, that the tree creature is hiding in the forest. Superman, that tree creature was seen walking over Green Mountain. He was 300 feet tall. Well, at that height, he could easily lose himself in the redwood forest. That's right. All those redwoods are giant trees. I'd better find him. Fast. So now we've got a son and a father near the uh, near redwood tree, and uh, the son sticks the knife in the redwood, presumably to carve his name. Wow, look at this one. It's as wide as a house. I'll carve my initials in this one, Dad. No, son, you mustn't do that. Dad warns him not to, but... What do you know? The kid stuck his knife into the tree creature, and the tree creature kind of uh, responds by stealing the boy's father. Now, mind you, the boy didn't know this was a tree creature. He just thought he was sticking his knife in a redwood tree. So Superman is going to fight the tree creature. He tries to talk to it, and he tries to grab him. So we have about, after Superman rescues the father, we have about 30 seconds of the tree slowly trying to grab Superman, and the man is still easily avoiding. That particular sequence just went on far too long. I noticed that even while I was taking notes that eventually the uh, little uh, Superman with the tree had to stop. 
So with a bad tree pun, Superman knocks the tree down. And apparently Superman knows that the uh, tree creature is from Marbora. And he's going to use his familiar solution of flying it into space. But it is very nice of Superman to uh, fly the tree creature back to its home planet where he can live happily ever after with all the rest of the tree creatures. And the home planet is Arbora. Arbor Day tree. Get it? Yeah, cute, isn't it? So we're going to move right on from that. We now have an ending with a copy boy trying to give Clark a tree. Hi, Beanie. What have you got there? It's a tree, Mr. Cap, for you. A tree? Oh, take it away, please. I don't want it. Oh, gee whiz, Mr. Kent. You'll get used to it. It'll grow on you. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. More bad tree puns, and this episode comes to an end. Not a bad episode. Superman versus a tree creature is kind of what you would expect it to turn out to be. Let's move right along into the Superboy segment, The Black Knight. And this was written by Oscar Brensall and our synopsis goes like this. Our friend of Clark's finds a magical cape that used to belong to Merlin. Clark! Timmy Jones is here to see you. Come on back, Timmy. Boy, when do you see what I got from my grandpa's attic? A magician's mantle that belonged to the great Merlini. The great Merlini? Uh-huh, a direct descendant of Merlin, King Arthur's court magician. How about that? Yeah, boy, I wish I was on a jousting field at Camelot in the days of King Arthur and the round table. Right now. Timmy, Timmy, he, he's vanished. Wishing he was back in that time, Clark sees his friend disappear right before his eyes. Rotating counterclockwise as Superboy, he travels in time to save his friend from being trampled by the Black Knight's horse. Superboy is soon challenged to a duel by the Black Knight, aided by Merlin. But Superboy wins the day. Merlin and the Black Knight are arrested by King Arthur and Superboy and his friend return to their own time. This segment was a lot of fun. I always enjoy uh, seeing King Arthur. It's one of my uh, one of my favorite legends. And it's always fun seeing uh, Superman or Superboy kind of dabble in that area. I really enjoyed it in the comics when uh, Superman found himself in Camelot back in the early 90s in the Time and Time Again storyline. Legends of Tomorrow dropped in on King Arthur in the uh, most recent season. That was pretty interesting. And... You know, this was pretty good here. You know, like with Timmy, Clark's friend, going back in time, it kind of gives us a kind of a kid in King Arthur's court type of uh, feeling. And so we start where all good Superboy stories start. Not necessarily at the Daily Planet. That's where the good Superman stories start. But with Clark working in his parents' general store when he gets a visit from one of his friends. This is Timmy. And he pulls a red magician's cape out of his uncle's attic. Because, you know, why wouldn't you pull a red magician's cape out of your uncle's attic? And... Do any of you have an uncle with a red magician's cape in the attic? If you do, you have far more interesting uncles than I do. I would love to have an uncle with some kind of treasure like that up in his attic. So, of course, something bad happens. Timmy disappears, and Clark reads that the cape can transport him to any place in time. Now, uh, Bob Hastings, uh, this is a job for Superboy. is isn't nearly as good as Bud Collier's version, but it's okay. So, like his comics counterpart, Superboy can travel through time, and we're going back to the days of Camelot. Now, Superboy's method of time travel is different from what you would see in the comics. I'm not sure if he rotated in the comics. It's kind of difficult for the comics, which is a static medium, to really demonstrate that. Normally, Superboy or Superman, for that matter, are flying, and you kind of just see the years go by. But Superboy kind of spins around counterclockwise, and back to the past he goes, and he somehow knows exactly where little Timmy is going to end up. So, Timmy shows up in Camelot, and I'm glad that he knows where he is. He must be some kind of expert in Arthurian legend, and he's excited to be in deadly danger here, that's for sure, as he kind of runs into uh, 
some kind of jousting match between what he identifies as Sir Galahad and the Black Knight. Wow! I'm on a jousting field in Camelot! I wonder if that's Sir Galahad! Holy cow! That must be the Black Knight! And, and that must be King Arthur and Merlin! Let the tournament begin! Oh, boy! And so, you know, Timmy is trying to tell the two combatants that he's in the way, and he's trying to tell them to stop. Perhaps he should just get out of the way and run or dive or something, instead of just yelling, stop, stop, like an overanxious crossing guard. So, Superboy does come up and saves Timmy here, and Timmy has no reaction to Superboy being there whatsoever. Here is a strange visitor from another planet who lives in his hometown hundreds, close to a thousand years in the future, and Timmy has no reaction to Superboy being there as well. But after after Superboy takes care of the uh, the knights, Timmy is quick to introduce Superboy to King Arthur. Because what wouldn't you do? The first thing you would do is introduce Superboy to King Arthur. Behold, Merlin. This strange young man's magic is greater than thine. Bah, twas just a trick, sire. Who art thou, mighty young stranger? Th this is Superboy, your majesty. He's from the 20th century, and he has the greatest powers on Earth. Dost thou hear that, Merlin? Bah! A mere stripling trickster, Majesty. <laughs> Methinks thou art jealous, magician. Knave, thou hast broken my lance. For that, I shall break thy skull. Now look, sir, I... I challenge thee to a duel with broadswords. Um, now look, I apologize for breaking your lance. Go ahead, Superboy. Accept his challenge. Yes, show us your power. Take my sword. Thanks. But I won't need it. So apparently the uh, Black Knight is quite put out by his lance breaking, and he challenges Superboy to a duel, and King Arthur is trusty enough to give Superboy his sword. Yeah, there you go, King Arthur. Here is a random stranger in a funny-looking suit that you never met. First thing you're going to do is give him your sword to the duel of the fair fight. He doesn't know Superboy. How does he know Superboy's not going to take the sword and slice, slice him in half with it? Well, you probably wouldn't see that in a kid's cartoon anyway, but still, the point remains. King Arthur needs to be smarter than this. But Superboy, you know, he kind of declines the sword, fortunately. And Superboy bends the knight's sword, and that makes him mad, as he's shamed, apparently. And Merlin, who is jealous of Superboy's power, helps the Black Knight. Meanwhile, Excalibur is still stuck in the stone, and Superboy is going to attempt to pull it out. He does immediately, and all of a sudden, Superboy is now King of England. This is probably going to have some interesting ramifications on future history, I would think. But it's uh, not going to happen that way. Uh, Merlin's magic takes the sword from Superboy, and, well, that's the end of Superboy having the sword. So now Superboy is going to fight the Black Knight, and he kind of tricks him into putting the sword back on the stone. So that's that. Excalibur is back where it needs to be. And when the Black Knight is caught, he immediately throws Merlin under the bus, or under the horse-drawn carriage, or whatever the Arthurian counterpart of a bus is. And this kind of tracks with Merlin being a villain in an earlier Superman segment. If you remember the first appearance of Lex Luthor all those episodes ago, he was reaching back in time to talk to Merlin to kind of learn some tricks to deal with Superman. So I guess we're going to play Merlin as a villain in these, uh, in these animated uh, episodes. But before they go, Superboy is going to show King Arthur a magic trick. He spins clockwise and they go home. So now that they're home, Timmy wonders how Superboy knew where to find it. Now cut it out, Crypto. I told you I couldn't take you with me. Right, Timmy? Yeah. <laughs> Pardon. Yeah. But how did you know where I was, Superboy? Well, would you believe a mutual friend told me? No kidding. You'd better get on home now, Timmy, before your folks start worrying. 
Okay, so long, Superboy. And thanks. You're welcome. Let's go, Crypto. Up, up, and away! You know, we obviously know the mutual friend is Clark, and that's what Timmy is meant to believe. How Clark would know that Timmy wound up in the uh, age of Arthur, I don't know, but, you know, we're just going to go with that. We're not going to look too deeply into uh, what happened here. But, you know, it would have been nice to uh, get a wink from Superboy to the camera there, you know, just, you know, kind of, you know, a little break of the fourth wall. But, nope, we don't get that. We just kind of get Superboy flying off into, into the sunset or into the sky with Crypto. That was a really good one. It's always fun to see King Arthur in his element, and I really enjoyed that segment. And now we're going to move on to the last segment I'm going to cover on this episode. Back to Superman times. Now we get The Image Maker. And this was written by Oscar Bensall. And our synopsis is, Professor Nula seeks revenge on Lois Lane for putting him in prison. Disguising himself as Professor Luna, he invites her to write a story on his amazing new 4D movie technology. She arrives with Clark and is soon in peril when the Professor's pet Yeti grabs Lois. As Clark changes into Superman, the Professor encases Lois in an airtight bubble, which she plans to rocket into space. Superman cripples the rocket ship, rescues Lois, and captures the Professor. Alright, so, not much else to say about this one. You know, the synopsis kind of gets you through it. We start out with, uh... Master criminal in a castle, because where else would a master criminal hide out but in, a, in an old abandoned castle? And Lois and Clark are driving through a very spooky forest. There's really some atmosphere in this animated forest. I mean, and I know it's just them driving through kind of a country road with trees surrounding them, and uh, it's night out, but there's definitely something spooky about this particular forest. It's just a demonstration of a new motion picture process. The invitation was for me, alone. This is my story. Now look, Lois, the only reason I insisted on coming along is because this is a desolate area. Might be dangerous. So what if it is? You won't be much help. Of course, if you were Superman. Okay, okay. Hey, look at that castle. Pretty creepy, isn't it? Sure is. You know, Clark, right now I... I wish you were Superman. So, for some reason, Clark insisted on coming along. He uh, mentions that because it's a desolate area, Lois drops the bomb on him, saying Clark won't be much help unless he's Superman. And Clark is, uh, you know, appropriately annoyed by that comment. But, you know, things do eventually get spooky, and then all of a sudden, Lois says she wishes he were Superman. And then Clark smiles. So, eventually, they meet up with Professor Luna, and he's talking about 4D movies. I guess that's a step above your modern 3D movies. I always thought time was the fourth dimension. I'm not exactly sure... uh, how that works in a movie, but we're just going to go with Professor Luna's uh, explanation here. He's not giving away his secret, and the narrator implies that Lois should know who this guy is, but he kind of looks just like random mad scientist to me. Obviously, we haven't seen him before in any of these episodes, so... But it definitely seems like somebody Lois should recognize is claiming she put him in prison. So, apparently, uh, a movie in four dimensions means stuff like apples just comes right out of the screen you can catch them and eat them. Kind of reminds me of something right out of uh, Willy Wonka, the scene where uh, Mike TV pulls uh, the Wonka bar off the uh, TV screen. So Now we have an abominable snowman in a 4D movie, and now we're getting a job for Superman. As usual, Bud Collier's voice acting does not disappoint. So here is Superman talking to the movie, and Professor Nula announces his presence. And a little coloring error here. Most of the time, the S on Superman's cape is yellow, as uh, it's been done in the comics at the time and what we're really been used to seeing pretty much exclusively since whenever they started drawing the LOS on the cape. It seems like forever ago, but I mean in the comics it was very 
it really wasn't the red and uh, yellow S that we saw on the George Reeves cape. It was pretty much always yellow once they started drawing an S on the back of the cape. For a time in the New 52, Superman had a black S on his cape, but since the Rebirth era started, uh, the yellow S has been back on the cape. And, you know, I'm starting to get annoyed with the live-action version of Superman where there is no S. Having the S on the cape has been a major part of the Superman costume. It's time to get back to that. Don't give me your difficult animation. None. If this show can animate an S on a cape, then today's animators can do that too, if they need to. But there is a little coloring error, error here as the S on Superman's cape for a lot of this episode is red and blue. Red and yellow, rather. So apparently Professor Nula in a very 1950s and 1960s plot is going to launch Lois into a space in a rocket. And Superman is not really very deterred here. He gives chase. And this is one of the... Uh, few segments with little narration. I'm not necessarily sure I could have followed this action without the aid of the visuals. I guess this is just the exception that proves the role. So Lois is now ejected into space where she is going to be caught by Superman and placed back down on Earth. This Superman is similar to the George Reeves Superman in the sense that he... I've only really heard him call Lois Miss Lane. Doesn't really call her Lois very often. Now the rocket crashes and the Superman catches the professor. And uh, now we get our ending. You know Lois, you look pretty enough to be in the movies. Movies. Sometimes she's more dangerous than a mad scientist. Clark makes the crack at Lois about her being pretty enough to be in the movies, but she just throws a book at him. And the animation here is slow and not very dynamic. It looks as though it takes the book forever to get to Clark, and he just kind of moves slightly to dodge it. It goes over his head in kind of a very big arcing batter. But we do get a nice George Reeves wink at the end as he comments that Lois is in is as dangerous as a mad scientist. You know, another okay installment. Not much to it, but I really have very few complaints. So, next time, I'm going to cover the next four Superman segments. Superman's Double Trouble, The Deadly Super Doll, Lava Men, and Luthor Strikes Again. Also, the Superboy segments, Operation Counter Invasion, and The Jinxed Circuit. If you have any comments on anything I've said in this episode or any previous episode, please uh, send me an email. Email is always welcome, manofscreen at gmail.com. You can also leave me an iTunes review. That will help others find the show. And you can find the show on Facebook. You just put the Man of Screen podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. And you can find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And uh, don't forget, if you're uh, shopping at Amazon.com, uh, use the uh, link over at 2TrueFreaks.com to uh, shop there. That'll help us keep the lights on here. So, until next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.